This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. It's the Blood Red podcast, courtesy of the Liverpool Echo. I'm Guy Clark. Welcome along as Joe Gomez outlines his challenge at Liverpool. We'll discuss the latest of the Reds' pre-season. Plus, there's the latest on the transfers as well, with the exit queue beginning to build at Anfield. Could Liverpool be tempted into a move for Aston Villa's Carney Chukwemeka? To get into all of that and more, we have our Liverpool correspondent, Tool, and regardless of the heat outside, always cool. Paul Gorst, the O Squires and the Brown Flakes boy, Matt Addison. Chaps, I trust you're all well. And Matt, even in this heat, sticking to the Brown Flakes for breakfast? Especially in this heat, I would say. The uh, the more milk on them, the better for this, this warm weather. Why not? Yeah, brilliant stuff. All right, then, uh, Gorsty, in terms of yourself, let's dive straight in there. Top of the bill, as I said there, was, was Joe Gomez. He's spoken to Ian Doyle exclusively for the Echo during pre-season and has outlined exactly why he wanted to put pen to paper on that new five-year deal. Yeah, it was a really, really good interview, wasn't it? By the way, you got the chance to, to get 15 or 20 minutes or however long it was with Gomez in Singapore. Um, he kind of touched on a couple of things that, that we were saying in one of the recent pods in terms of, um might have been after he signed his new contract, actually, that he sees more of a challenge to regain his place back in that Liverpool team, uh, a Liverpool team who were fighting for, for major honours. And that, that's more of a challenge that he relishes more than, than moving and moving somewhere else just because he's not really getting the game. And, and you know, maybe that sees him go somewhere further down the, the, the back and all. I mean, the, the, from his perspective, he's, he's only just turned 25. He, he hasn't been 25 long. Um and I think he, he mentioned it in the interview, didn't he? You know, Virgil van Dijk was, was 26, I think, when maybe 27 when he moved to Liverpool. Um, and he's looked at the success that he's had in those years and thinks, well, why can't I do the same? You know, he's been at Liverpool since he was 18, but he's still a young player, really, um, just about to enter his peak years. And I think he was just a bit of a, a victim of circumstances, really, last year. Obviously, Liverpool played every game possible, so there would have been opportunities for him. But... Given the way Canarte developed, the way Van Dijk and Matip returned from, from their own long-term injuries, it was just a bit of a perfect storm that kept Gomez from playing more regularly at centre-half. So I always felt that with the benefits of a full pre-season schedule behind them, he'll be back in, the, in that mix to play more games at centre-back next season. Now, I still believe he's starting in, in fourth choice of those four this season, but he's probably not. He's probably not going to be as far down the, the pattern order as he was three, four months ago when he hadn't really played too much in the only games he would get in the odd cup game or, or he'd be playing at right back. He didn't start at centre half in the Premier League last season. They were all at right back. So, yeah, um, good news for him that he's sort of the future. He's kind of backing himself to, to once again challenge for that. Essentially, one going into three, isn't it? We all know Van Dyke's going to be starting every game and then it's a case of who's going to be his partner. So, yeah, it was a really. Um, you know, interesting interview from from Gomez, who um, is always, you know, he's, he's always very, very happy to chat and, and talk to you after games and so on. And um, yeah, it was quite uh, quite insightful what he was what he was dishing out in Singapore. Yeah, definitely. Theo, as Gorsley said there, he, he very much was a victim of circumstance, really, because of the 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 great Liverpool injury crisis that sort of derailed the the defence of the Premier League title. So he was the first one, he was the first domino to fall in that regard. And then last year, of course, Canate had come in, but I don't think any of us expected Joel Matip to be 
as present throughout the whole period of the campaign as he was. And yet that also, I suppose, prevented Gomez getting as much game time. Yeah, that would have been the case. I don't think Liverpool themselves would have expected Joel Matip to stay fit for the whole season. Um, all the senior centre-backs have been bottom of the pecking order at one point or another to be Virgil van Dijk's first choice partner and then injuries happen and it gives the opportunity to someone else. It's just circumstances that meant Joe Gomez was on at the bottom of the pecking order when van Dijk, Matip and him came back last summer. Like he always seems to take that little bit longer to get back to his best after these serious injuries, like um, when he had the first one, when Klopp um, first took over, I think he played in like, an FA Cup game against Wolves the next season, but it wasn't until 17-18 that he was really back with the team. Um, when he did his ankle at Burnley, he didn't get back into his first choice until the next season when they were going for the league title, and now he's taken a bit more time as well, but there's nothing wrong with that. I love that line in the interview there where he's like, well, I'm younger than Van Dyke was when he joined the club. That's a great attitude for him to show. And he's quite right. Like Defenders peak later. And it's easy to take Joe Gomez for granted because he only cost three and a half million. Because he was 18 when they signed him, he's not as tall or as big as the other players he's up against at Liverpool. But he's still very big for a centre-back. And you only need to look at United's latest signing to see the difference there. Um, but he's very good. Like If he was at any other Premier League team and Liverpool needed, say, a Joel Matic replacement. You'd want someone who's good on the ball, who's got a bit of pace, who's got decent height on them. Homegrown ticks the box as well. You look at Joe Gomez and he ticks all of it. He's the perfect solution. And it just so happens that he's already at Liverpool. They've had him for since he was 18. So you do take him for granted a little bit. And with those injuries he got um, two years ago, it means that lasting memory of him is bait from that year is that 7-2 defeat against Villa which isn't fair at all but take that away how many goals did they concede in um, the title winning year him and Van Dijk they were the best pairing, uh, pairing in England by an absolute mile and now it's just waiting for him to get that opportunity again to show what he can do at centre-back in an ideal world for Liverpool as good as Matip was last year you want him to be your fourth choice because it is about going forward it's about choosing your defenders for the future and Van Dijk has said himself Liverpool have already got the players to replace me Canate and Gomez will be the future pairing. So you want to see him get more opportunities and hopefully he has a good pre-season. Admittedly, he's got a knock at the moment, but he has a good pre-season. He gets opportunities in these games and he can pick up where he left off before the knee injury because we know there's a player in there and Liverpool have invested so much in him over the last few years. They think his best years are still to come. He thinks his best years are still to come. And if he's using that Van Dijk example, and world's his oyster. Yeah, it's great to hear as well that the openness and, and honesty as well, Matt, from him in terms of openly talking about the, the speculation around his head would be easy to just bat it away type thing, to, to which he, he, he kind of does do. But he does equally say he did read, he did hear about kind of the, the speculation that was around about Real Madrid, about Aston Villa, but actually his focus was the challenge that's in front of him. And actually, maybe it would have been the easy route to, to go somewhere else and be as Theo was kind of alluding to there, that the shiny star signing for another team this summer who everyone was looking to. But in fact, actually, he's thought, no, I've been here seven years. I'm going to roll my sleeves up and I will fight. And I'll, I'll retake that starting centre-back berth that, that once upon a time did belong to him. Yeah, and absolutely right. I think if, if Liverpool had shown any indication that Joe Gomez was to be available at some point, whether that was this summer or in future, then 
you know, pretty much every team out there, I'm sure, would have taken a look at him because, as Theo said, if you look at any other Premier League team, I think Joe Gomez would get into a lot of them. He's ticking pretty much every box that Liverpool look for in terms of, of what they want. And, yeah, I think for, for him it is it is a big challenge for him. But then you'd look at the next few seasons, obviously, Matter, We've sort of touched upon how he stayed fit last season. We don't know for sure whether that's going to continue into the future. And the older he gets, the more sort of susceptible to going back to the injury pro Matip he will become. And you just look at the age of, of Joe Gomez. He's perfectly positioned, I think, to, to kick on and take the next step now if he can stay injury-free. But it also just is that perfect kind of order, really, for, for Liverpool centre-backs. You've got Van Dijk that you'd hope could do another sort of four, five, six seasons, possibly, given the age that, that he is and, and the kind of levels that he is at. Even if he was to drop off a bit, you'd think that that would be possible. You've then got Matip, who you can maybe start to, to rotate out. They've got a bit of a decision to make with him and his contract, I think, is, is 2024. So I'm sure we'll get some sort of indication in, in terms of, of what happens with him at some point soon. And then you've got kind of Gomez, the next rung down, and Canate, the youngest of them. It's, it's almost like a bit of a conveyor belt of one will probably stick about and, and go late into his 30s. You've then got the next one and you've got the next one. And it just gives Liverpool, I think, a bit of time to then kind of get the next level of, of that conveyor belt to, to find the next Canate that comes through. It, it's sort of all in place now for, for the next few seasons for Joe Gomez to, to kick on. And the one thing you just hope is that he's been unfortunate up to this point in his career with injuries. You just really have to keep your fingers crossed that that doesn't happen again because it's not like he's been injury prone. He's kind of got two or three big injuries, impact injuries, that kind of thing. You, you just got to hope really that that can stop now. And if he does get a bit of luck, there's no reason why he can't go to another level. Yeah, Paul, we say on on, on one hand he, he's, he's only 25 and the other he's been around so long. And reading what he says in the interview in terms of taking on responsibility and that he wants to be at that level, I suppose if you look at it with Jordan Henderson and James Milner in particular, the age certainly James Milner's at and Jordan Henderson will be getting to. Thiago's the same age as well. It does look within the squad there's a number of very young players and a number of more experienced players who have been there. In terms of those kind of intangibles that you, you maybe don't always know if you're buying in a player, leadership and that kind of know-how for the standards that Liverpool command. I suppose actually that underlines even more how important it was to tie down Joe Gomez because he has been around and he is, when he steps into what we're saying there, perhaps of being a long-term successor at the heart of defence, he, he's been the club, he, he knows the fabric of it. He does, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, um, you know, look across the squad now. I think only Henderson was there before him. He obviously joined the summer of twenty fifteen, so he's alongside Milner and, and Firmino. So he's on the most experienced members of, of the the Klopp era, really. Uh, and he's only twenty five, which which is um, just just goes to show you how how long he's been there and and how high his, his standards have been during that time. Because um, Liverpool have gone from uh, being a team who were Top four hopefuls at best when he joined to um, you know team who, who look to win the Premier League every year and look to win the Champions League and, and have done that in the last few years. So um, it's it's full credit to himself that he's he's been able to to blossom as a young young lad moving from London, moving away from his family to to Merseyside and developing into a man into a, a top class centre back, which we all know he is when he's when he's available to play centre-back and he can play 25, 30 games and, and get a strong run in the team. Um, but yeah, just just generally across Liverpool's squad now, it's, they're very much recruiting for today, but also tomorrow as well. And, and Gomez 
is um, you know it, it should be held up as a bit of an example of 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 how you do that really because Liverpool now the sign of players like you know we've seen it this summer with Fabio Carvalho and Calvin Ramsey, a couple of highly rated teenagers coming into the squad. They've obviously got Harvey Elliott a few years back. Um, and they're all going to be looking at Gomez and thinking, well, this is how you do it. You, you get in the team, you build up your, your experience, your level of seniority, and, and you show that you're good enough to, to be in the team. Obviously, we all know that he's a little bit of a special case in terms of the the amount of long-term injuries he's had, and that's probably why he's not playing every week at centre-back, or you know, at least getting more games there. But as a kind of shining example to the young players, he's very much one that they should be looking at and thinking, well, he's the guy to follow because um, he's been here for seven years already and he's just signed him with a long-term contract to take him up until, what, 12 or 13? So, um, yeah, almost a bit of a bit of an example to the younger lads, I'd, I'd say. Yeah, definitely. Shows his mental fortitude as well to keep coming back from those injuries. And, and then we're talking about him as we are today with, with how much potential he still has to unlock. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Theo, whilst he's been great on the pitch and maybe the successor, as we say, longer term, off it as well. He seems to kind of do a bit of, I don't know, scouting work or whatever it is in his, his spare time as well. Talking about Darwin Nunez and how he he had an encounter with him in the physio room after their battle at Anfield, saying how a good job, what a good job Darwin Nunez did up against him. And we know from kind of inside the Liverpool dressing room, we're talking of the new boy, of actually how glowingly a number of those defenders spoke about him from the runaround he gave them home and away against Benfica. Yeah, that's, um, that's a few of the defenders now, isn't it? Van Dijk was another one who spoke so uh, highly of Darwin Nunes. This one where it's quite a few times now where Liverpool signed players that have given him a, a bit of trouble, trouble in games. Um, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. You think of Minamino, but then Gini Wijnaldum was one who did well against them way back. That when it's one where it's very clear they've got this plan behind the scenes, and the players, because there's a lot of long-serving players now at the club, they know what suits Liverpool's style. They have an idea of what will fit in, what they can expect from players, and it's one where. Nunes, we know there's been a bit of chatter from uh, rival fans. That's to be expected. But Liverpool have every faith in him turning it around. And it isn't just, oh, we've got to say something positive about him in the media because of this stick. It's Liverpool have got high hopes for him. They wouldn't have spent nearly, uh, what is it, club record 85 million on him with all those add-ons if they didn't think he could be the striker to lead their line and score goals galore. If you're causing Virgil van Dijk, Joel Matip, Joe Gomez, whoever, problems, um, in these games and then you've got I think was it Matip who said I'm so glad I don't have to play him in games anymore it's just in training like these are some of the best centre-backs in European football and they're speaking so highly of him um, don't need to judge him off 50 minutes let's, let's see what he can do when the, the real season gets underway uh, it's a, a good sign if you can uh, cause Van Dijk problems and when you've got the likes of Gomez speaking so highly of him they'll have been excited to see Liverpool spend the money to bring him in as we all are when Liverpool bring in a, a big money striker uh, it's a matter of time before the goals start coming, I'm sure. Yeah, not really about whether they come in, in pre-season too much, is it? It's, it's when the, the real stuff starts. But Matt, we've we've now had a couple of glimpses of Darwin Nunez. What what have you made of what you've seen from him so far? 
Yeah, I mean, it's hard to, to kind of make too many judgments at this point. I think there's there's been a couple of promising signs. I know there's been clips on social media and various bits of a couple of missed chances, but I think that's only natural when you're kind of settling into to a new system, a new way of playing. We've seen Pep Linders in training sort of giving him pep talks on how to... Uh, Pep talks. I didn't even mean that to be a pun, but there we are. Um, in terms of, of his training methods and, and how they kind of press and, and integrate into that system, I think that's going to take a little bit of time. But I think just the, the kind of positions that he's taking up, the, the relationships that he's going to have to develop with Luis Diaz and Mohamed Salah and Diogo Jota when he's back fit, it's it's going to take a little bit of time to, to get accustomed to it. But, you know... <laughs> The, the players have, have said it themselves. There's there's a quality player there. I think you know Liverpool saw it twice last season in terms of how good he is. You look at the other goals that he scored last season, going away to Barcelona and, and scoring in that one. You know there's there's a really really good player in there. And I think even if it does take a few months, we've seen that in the past with Liverpool that it's not going to bother anyone. It's it's not going to be a problem if it does take a few weeks for him to get that first goal, and then it will all click into place. So yeah, it's it's one of those where you. You just don't really know what to say to, to people who have made a judgment on him already. He's played an hour in two meaningless games. He's had, what, four or five training sessions maybe whilst they've been out in Asia. It's a completely new environment. It's a completely new language. All the rest of it, it's going to take a little bit of time. But there's no doubt in the quality of the player. There's no doubt in why Liverpool have, have recruited him. And like I say, if if it does take a few weeks for him to get that first goal, then so be it. But I think that the first one, just that little bit of a weight off his shoulders. I think what we've seen so far from him is, you know, he's, he's really, really tried to, to sort of get into those positions. He's absolutely run and, and pressed and put in all of the, the work that he needs to do. I just think he needs that one goal and it, it might come this week. Hopefully it does and, and we can kind of end these sort of daft conversations of people judging him already because, you know, let, let's be honest, we, we can't really tell too much from the friendlies that we've had so far and it could just be that one goal changes everything for him. It's all you need to see from him so far that he's getting in these positions and he's creating the chances. Yeah, we can say probably should have a couple of goals already, but it is just these first game backs and he didn't have that first week of pre-season. He was straight in on that flight to Asia, settling into a new team, new culture and everything. And then he's getting half an hour here, half hour there when the whole team is being chopped and changed so they can get the fitness in the legs. But he's still creating chances. He's still showing early signs of uh, partnerships with Salah and Alexander-Arnold. And he's in this unique position that there isn't that pressure on him, despite the price tag compared to when Liverpool spent big on strikers in the past, because he doesn't need to come in and be the leading goal scorer this season. You've got Mohamed Salah to do that. You've still got Luis Diaz, who's going to get the goals. You've still got Jota. You've still got Firmino. He can take his time a little bit. Um, I can understand there's maybe a bit of anxiety when you see him miss a couple of chances because Liverpool historically maybe don't have the best record with strikers, traditional number nines in the Premier League since, say, like Fernando Torres. When you think of Benteke, they gave up on him after a year, Balotelli, Andy Carroll. But Darwin Nunes, he can take a bit more time. He's got a bit more about him from what we've seen against Liverpool and from these games so far. It does take time for him to bed in, as Matt's just said. But the signs are there. Like you don't, He doesn't need to come in and get 35 goals to be a success. I think if he gets like 10, 15, if it takes a bit of time to settle in, that's a respectable first return in English football with Liverpool. Like Jota, he, what was it? Well, I can't remember how many he got in the first season, but then we saw him get 20-odd last year. Mane got 13 in his first season with Liverpool. It takes time to adapt. Jürgen Klopp said that before. We've seen players like Fabinho and Andy Robertson take a long time to actually get into the starting eleven. 
There's no concerns yet with uh, Nunes, and I suppose these rival taunts are to be expected. But it's just weird how it's all very pointed. Like Lukaku was rubbish for Chelsea last year, and it's like, oh, they've wasted 100 million on him there. But I can't remember any other rival fans going to it at him to such an extent, maybe because he'd been in English football before. But yeah, Liverpool don't need Darwin Nunes to go and be at this immediate overnight success scoring a hat-trick on his debut. He's not been signed for the first month of pre-season and the first few weeks of the season. He's been signed for the next five years. I don't know, on Lukaku, there was a, there was a, a whole segment, I think, on Match of the Day de- dedicated to him having seven touches in a whole half of football. So <laughs> He'd been rubbish a while by then, though, hasn't he? Yeah, I know what you're saying, but in terms of just, just moving it forward, Gorstein, in terms of people trying to read so much into to, two pre-season outings, to me, it, it's more not even about Darwin Nunez or, or what he's doing, but the thirst for rival fans and other opposition fans to want to see Liverpool make... A, a failure in the transfer market. Yeah. They've been so consistent for so long. It feels as though it's the first opportunity. Klopp's even said before about the blisters he's got, the fact he needed a new set of lungs after being on the pitch for half an hour against Manchester United. He was doing that much pressing. It just, it seems that thirst, jealousy maybe, of rival fans to want to see it go wrong. Yeah, I'm, I'm reluctant to kind of dwell too, for too long on this subject because um, it seems to be a, a little bit of a an agenda that's been driven by what are probably children on Twitter behind faceless accounts of rival clubs to the point where it's become that kind of prevalent for, for no real reason, really, but to the point where Klopp's getting asked about it. And I've seen today Lewis Garcia's being asked about it, and it's all about who's setting the agenda here. You know, let's have a bit of, you know, let, let's be sensible about it all. He's had, I don't even know how long he's played, to be honest. Um, what did he get half an hour against United? And, However long it was against Palace, um, like fifty <laughs> minutes so far, isn't it? Yeah, I, I find it crazy that the club's even getting asked about it. To be honest, it does just seem to be a social media thing where, as you say, guy fans of rival supporters are desperate just to see Liverpool's first kind of big money flop in years, really, since probably going back to Christian Benteke. Certainly in the club era, when they've spent big money, it's it's been. Uh, a decision that's come off. I think probably the only one you'd, you'd argue or you'd have a, you know, you can have a debate with is, is probably Navigator. But for me, he's, he's been, a, you know, a part of a team that have won absolutely everything in the last five years. Probably had his best season last season for Liverpool as well. So um, I don't think that's someone that you could definitively call a flop. And everyone else is undisputedly a success. Looking at, you know, everyone the ball from Van Dijk to Salah, Mane. Jota, you know, go right right through, and and everyone who's come for, for big money has, has justified it. Um, even players who, uh, sorry, even players sort of looked at to have overspent on Salah when when he came in, there were a yeah, lot of doubts. Yeah. And, and he, even someone like Genie Van Aldum, I mean, yeah, he wasn't the attacking midfielder maybe everyone thought he was going to be, but unqualified success. Yeah, and and of course Alison Becker as well. So, uh, it, I think it is just a case of. Um, Certain people of of who support other clubs just looking for any kind of examples that he might not be, you know, the um, the superstar that Liverpool believe that he certainly can be. Uh, another one as well is the um, it's probably deliberate, um, but this idea that he's you know a hundred million pound, he's not a hundred million pound, he's not even a hundred million euros. It's sixty four million pound, isn't it? With twenty one million pound worth of add ons. And if he reaches those add-ons, he's been a spectacular success. So he's actually come in as, as less than Alison Becker. So he's only third in the all-time list of Liverpool players. Can make it to number one. 
But if he does, then no one will even be talking about that 85 million sum because it will mean he's been an you know absolutely superb signing. So yeah, I, I don't want to reflect too much on the on the uh, the youngsters on Twitter trying to make out that he's already a flop because it's just absolute nonsense. No, rightly said. And with that, let's move on to our next topic. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. And let's talk about transfers then. And first of all, we'll discuss some outgoings. And Theo, first one to, to talk about is, is Ben Davis. I mean, a player who we've not seen play competitive football for Liverpool, but yet the uh, magic that is the Liverpool transfer department are going to turn a profit on him. Yeah, and then some. It's quite a, a turnaround for the fee there. Uh, Liverpool already made the, the 500000 initially that spent on him back from his loan spell at Sheffield United last year. And if Sheffield United had won promotion, they've, they've already doubled the money. Um, the asking price we heard from the club earlier this summer was like a £4 million overall package. Imagine my brows were raised somewhat thinking, how are you supposed to get that for a player that hasn't even played for you, hasn't really had a successful career for the last 18 months? But Liverpool have found a way. Um, like you'd have seen him at Preston. I think you'd have been saying, thinking four, five, six million would have been a, a decent fee for him at that time, coming off the back of a successful time in the Championship. But 18 months where he's not played for Liverpool and he was in and out the team at Sheffield United. I think he had COVID for a bit. The manager who signed him was sacked. Um, they were going for promotion. He dropped out there. It's not been a good time for him. And this disappointment on both sides has not worked out. But now he can go and play consistent football for Rangers. I think it's what, of course, do you say? Nine times profit, wasn't it? Um, that, that's incredible considering yeah, um, how it's gone got from Sheffield United as well. So that's that's four and a half million they've got for him during the course of his time at Liverpool when he paid five hundred thousand for him. Yeah, that, that's impressive. And now there's been this knock-on effect, hasn't there, in the transfer market? We've done a piece on it today. That Liverpool kind of had Manchester United to, to thank for this because if United hadn't signed Martinez from Ajax, Ajax don't go and get Bassi from Ranger um, from Rangers, and then Rangers don't need Ben Davis in the first place. So uh, United have done Liverpool solid here and have essentially funded this transfer by giving Ajax so much in the first place to. Um, then go and give to Rangers. It's a bit of a, a route to get there, but we'll take it. Liverpool have actually got the asking fee for uh, Ben Davis, which probably didn't look like it would be the case when you're seeing them have to accept a little bit less for Sadio Mane and Minamino earlier in the summer. Yeah, definitely. Basically, a, what, 10% near on sell-on fee from from Ajax to, to Liverpool via Manchester. Yeah, I suppose it does work out like that. But Gorsty, it's one of those, isn't it, just how clever... Liverpool can be within the transfer market. I have to say, at the time when he he moved from Preston to Liverpool, as Theo says, I I do work with with, with Preston. Saw him at very close quarters, coming through the ranks, and then becoming a, a really good player. And and to me, was a ten million pound defender in the Championship. It was his contract situation that Liverpool really did take advantage of on the final day of the season. But for me, it'll be 27 in the opening weeks of the new season. I'm sure there'll be a sell-on in there for Liverpool. And actually, this one might not even be done if you, you see the money that Bassi's leaving Rangers for. By no means does this mean it'll be the end of the road in, in actually how well Liverpool could profit from this move. Yeah, when he signed me and Theo did, did the joint piece speaking to a few people. Um, I had a chat with Neil Mallard, who's obviously former Preston as well. And, and he was saying something similar to you, Guy, really, in terms of him being worth more... Uh, 10 to 15 million pound player than a than a one and a half million pound player that, that, he, that he could have become had he fulfilled those add-ons i think one of the clauses in the contract was an england appearance which showed you that you know that there was a realistic um ambition that if this lad's good enough then he could even be called up for england and 
Uh, just the, just the, the timing of it all, really. Uh, they were absolutely on the knees for defenders, weren't they? And, and when he wasn't playing during that season, you were like, well, well, what's going on here? Because once again, it's Fabinho in defence and Ben Davis is kicking his heels on the bench. But I just think Klopp just really just couldn't find a chance to, to bed him into Premier League football, particularly at a time that Liverpool were in where they were absolutely desperate to make sure that they finished in the top four and got Champions League football because without it, it was a very grave financial period upcoming for Liverpool. I'm sure of it. If they wouldn't have finished in the top, well, they finished there in the end, didn't they? But just, just a shame that, well, for him anyway, that he couldn't really get an opportunity to uh, to play. Um, I mean, on the face of it, it looks like a really surreal move that Liverpool have brought this lad in from the Championship at a time when they were undoubtedly in need of anyone to play centre back. He hasn't he hasn't kicked the ball for them and then off he goes. Um, seems like for him it's it's been a little bit of a stall eighteen month period of, of his career. But Liverpool are obviously going to make quite the mark up on him selling for for initial three million with another one with add-ons and, and off he goes to another giant in the Scottish Premiership, which is where he was on his way initially, wasn't it? He was, he was going to go to Celtic before Liverpool swooped. So um, yeah, I mean it's, it's it's a good move for him, um, but it's just a, a surreal one that's. You know, it's taking eighteen months for him to to move to the Scottish Premiership, and it's not in fact Celtic he's going to to Rangers. But I'm sure he look back on his time at Liverpool and just think he was training with some of the absolute best players in his position in world football, and he learned a lot. But um, yeah, it's it's a strange one, really, a strange deal if you're taking out the fact that it is very cold and uncalculated from a business point of view that they've took advantage of his contract situation and made a few quid on him. Yeah, I mean, personally, I think it will turn out to be all right for all parties, this move, because he went back to the Championship last year, didn't he experience playing for Sheffield United? So it's not as though he's not had any game time for 18 months at all. And I think moving to Liverpool and everything that came around, that will open him up to exactly what he's going to have similar in store for him when he gets to Glasgow and joins Rangers. And the other part of this, Matt, as well, is the benefit that... that uh, that Liverpool got from from Preston North End in another way of sending Seth Van and Berg on loan for 18 months there and now looks as though having come back from being their young player of the season as though he could be another who Liverpool can make a few quid on. Yeah, he's, he's a really interesting one, actually. I think a lot of people were surprised with his, his development at Preston. I think it was a huge sort of thing in terms of, of physically for him. I think having seen him play for Liverpool's youth teams, he wasn't always maybe the best in the air and, and that kind of thing. He is you know, a, a tall kind of athletic player, but you kind of wondered, would he be able to, to make that step? I think throwing him in at the deep end when he first went to Preston, I think probably wasn't the only one that was a little bit worried about how he might adapt to, to playing that. Obviously, ends up playing at Wigan back and I'm sure that has kind of helped him develop in terms of, of the way that he understands the game and, and all the rest of it but I think what comes next for him will be will be really interesting. Liverpool obviously during pre-season taking a look at him. He, he is obviously a player with a lot of talent and a lot of kind of ability that he could develop into a, a really good centre-back but whether that's going to be at, at Liverpool or not I think time will tell. I think that the number of of centre-backs that they've got this season suggests to me that probably a loan move somewhere would probably be the the, the best idea for him. I think, you know, similar almost to, to Nat Phillips last summer in that maybe a few years ago he would have stuck about and, and been maybe a, a third or a fourth choice centre-back, but Liverpool have just got so much depth there. It, it just makes a lot of sense really for, for him to go and, and get regular game time again as he has done for, for 18 months with Preston. So it'll be interesting to see 
you know, who comes in for him. I'm sure off the back of, of the Preston deal, that will be, you know, a number of, of clubs take a look at him. But yeah, if there's um, if there's a Premier League team out there, if it's maybe a move abroad, I just think he needs to go and, and take that next step again. We've seen a little glimpse of what he can do, but I think, you know, if you're going to make it at Preston, there's pro- uh, at Liverpool, sorry, there's, there's probably, you know, another step or two, as Ben Davis has shown, it's probably not the easiest to go from one to the other. There's probably got to be another one in between. Does this chime, though, Gorsley, with what we were talking about right at the top about Joe Gomez and actually as a defender, maybe you mature and develop later? Because Vandenberg, from when he went to Preston to when he comes back, is a completely different player. He first played at right back, even like the likes of Jamie Carragher did when he, he broke in as a young defender before moving and eventually graduating towards playing as a, a centre-half. He did play primarily last season as one of a, a three-man defence on the right-hand side of it and really did show some some good traits going forward. But as I say, he is only 20. Is it a case of maybe a loan deal is more beneficial at this stage for Liverpool to then keep him and see what he does develop to become? Or do you think there'll come a point where actually, what is he, three years now into his Liverpool career, they, they decide to, to cash in and again insert one of those sell-on clauses perhaps? Yeah, I suppose that the thing is people who work at the club's have a lot more patience than than supporters. Look at him now. You know, Liverpool signed him three summers ago, and he's still nowhere near it to breaking into the to the Liverpool team. I think a lot of supporters by at this point are probably thinking he's never going to make the grade, sell him, move him on, and and you know, accept that that was one that didn't work out. But Liverpool obviously take uh, a more patient approach. That the as long as he's under contract, that there's absolutely no rush on their end to 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 make a decision. Really. Um, it's all about, you know, when these players go out on loan, and you know, like Sepp on the Meg, and he's had X amount of appearances in the Championship last year, and, and you can point to the point to that fact and, and look at similar sorts of deals that have been done in the Championship, um, and then that's where you, you find evaluation. And if clubs don't feel that, you know, that he's he's worth it at, at the moment, or whatever, then Liverpool look elsewhere and. And look to uh, to secure another loan deal. There's absolutely no um, no kind of rush. Liverpool, we've seen that for years with players like Shea Ojo and you know, one or two others. Who you think how how are they still on the books? And it's basically because Liverpool aren't in any rush to to move them on. Um, so I, I imagine Sepp van der Berg is probably in a similar boat. I think if, if he can, I mean, I, I I know he's only young, but I don't see him being a, a Liverpool regular in, in five, six years at centre-back. But that doesn't mean to say that he's got no value. Um, so if Liverpool can continue, you know, moving him out on loan to, to certain clubs and building up that level of experience and, and that quality and, you know, as a result of that, his, his overall value grows, I think you will be seeing a kind of similar situation to Ben Davis where you're moving him on for quite the profits and, and you're looking at it and thinking, well, how are Liverpool doing this? But it is, it's a very calculated um, sensible long-term approach that they've got to, to these types of players. Because ultimately they are, you know, players of course. But if they're not going to be playing for, a, you know, a team of Liverpool's quality, then that doesn't mean that the next useless to the club. They're still well. Look at that Phillips. That Phillips is the yeah, other. So that's that's just the way the way Liverpool operates, and, and it's it's sensible, isn't it? Yeah, no, most definitely. You could always go abroad, get a promotion on the CV, and who knows, Liverpool might be in need of a defender at one time. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. 
Before we go, then, let's talk about, uh, I, I was going to say a potential incoming, but it's not that. It's speculation. Gorsty, I'll, I'll throw back to you first up on this. And it's uh, Carney Chukwemeka from Aston Villa, who very much fits the mould of what Liverpool have been doing in previous years of buying young, very talented uh, prospects and putting them in the U team and, and seeing them develop. And he's in a contract dispute with Aston Villa. He's not gone mm. on their pre-season tour of Australia. And all of a sudden now, a dozen clubs or more are all of a sudden being touted with potentially looking to wrap up a deal this summer. Liverpool naturally one of those names put in the hat. Yeah, I mean, this is a little bit of a, of a surprise one, actually, because I didn't, didn't particularly see it coming. But now, when, when you're reading into it a little bit more, you, you can see why Liverpool might be interested. Uh, I've, I haven't spoken to anyone either way at the moment about whether it might be true or whatever, but he certainly ticks a lot of the boxes in terms of being young, dynamic, um, you know, Liverpool, it was, someone was, was, was telling me a couple of months back, they're starting to really kind of give some thought to the uh, the homegrown quotas, particularly with Henderson and Milner in the 30s and, and Robertson, you know, it's just edging closer towards the, the 30 bracket. And Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain is the same age as him, but he might not necessarily be around for, for years to come. And just something Liverpool are giving a little bit more thought to. And that was one of the, the, the big ticks in the Fabio Carvalho box and, it's why they've basically been on a little bit of a a tour of England, kind of trying to sweep up the best young players in the country in the, in recent years. We've seen obviously Bobby Clark and Kate Duncan at, at academy level, uh, and Carney Chukwemeka is someone who um, would take several of those boxes. He's obviously got Premier League experience with with Villa. Um, he was a massive part of that, you know, Aston Villa team that beat Liverpool in the final in 2021. I think that was at Villa Park. Actually, I seem to remember him being. You know, man of the match on, on that day. So um, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all if if there are plenty within the Liverpool ranks who think that that this kid is worth looking into a little bit further. So it'll be interesting to see what happens on that front. As I say, I haven't I haven't spoken to anyone either way at the moment to, to to know whether it's legitimate or not. But I would um, hazard a guess as to say someone who, who certainly um, does have as, as admirers within the ranks. Yeah, on, on a long list at the very least, if not a short list, maybe for Liverpool. Theo, he also played a starring role for England in the under-19 Euros this summer as well. Obviously, everybody invested in Jude Bellingham and what, and what happens there. But, well, maybe it'd be for England, maybe for Liverpool. Could they could they not both coexist? Um, potentially. Like I've said before, I think Liverpool will need more than one midfielder when they look to do this revamp um, next year. We saw how they've done it with the attack this year when it was bringing in Diaz, then Nunes, and then Carvalho. Uh, it's not just one player. And as Gorsi's gone through there, well, Oxlade-Chamberlain could be on the move at the end of his contract. Cater's still not sorted anything yet. Milner's getting older. He's out of contract as well. Henderson's getting older. Thiago's getting older. There is going to be need to be this forward-thinking plan to replace a few of these bodies in midfield. So it's going to be more than you sign a marquee player like Bellingham. They're going to have to be others to complement it, whether it's the younger ones who could do like Harvey Elliott route, take a few time years to bed in, or someone a bit more established. Um, and like Gorsty said, they're looking through, there are boxes that he ticks. Like if he goes to an English club this summer and they don't loan him out, he's not only homegrown for you in UEFA competition, he's club trained as well when you need to have four players in the, the, those squads. Um, that's partly why they've signed Calvin Ramsey now at Liverpool because he'll get those three years in so he'll be a club trained player um, whereas Carvalho I think is just association trained that's why Liverpool need to think about this but 
it's one with him. There'll be a lot of clubs looking at him, especially in England, because it will tick those boxes. But then overseas as well, because if he doesn't go this summer, he's out of contract next year. And if he goes overseas at the end of his contract, Villa only get 250k in that compensation uh, training package thing. So you'd imagine there's going to have to be movement at some point. Uh, he's had a decent bit of the Premier League experience last season. So Villa hold the cards, but then it's what does the player want to do? Because if you see all these clubs queuing up for you and you know that it's going to be quite easy for you to just sit out your contract and go to anywhere on the continent next summer, or do you want your big money move now? But then do you go to Liverpool off the back of that? We've seen so many players go to Germany and do well with Dortmund, like Sancho and Bellingham. It might not be the smartest route for him, but then if it's a player Liverpool are interested in, um, we'll see because they can get in the air and convince him to play for Jurgen Klopp. We've seen with Elliot and Curtis Jones that the pathway is still open. You are going to get opportunities in this side. But what we've heard from the club is this midfield plan's still on hold until next year. Like if they did sign him, they've still got eight, nine senior options you'd imagine ahead of him in the pecking order. You can throw Tyler Morton in there as well. It's one way you can say, yeah, Liverpool probably have got a bit of interest in him. He's done so well for Villa and with the England youth team, but that's why so many teams have got this interest in him. Uh, one to keep an eye on who might appear on a, a short list in a few years down the line, but never say never because when there's an opportunity there to be had, Liverpool aren't strangers to dipping their toes in and seeing what can they can do. No, Matt, you keep a keen, keen eye on, on youth matters and, and young players coming through and seeing a number of them coming up against Liverpool. As Gorsley said, he played really well in that FA Youth Cup final at Villa Park as well. And Liverpool have been on this spree of buying young, talented English players. But equally, I suppose it, it, it's kind of where on the chart Carney Chukwemeka's pot is, is kind of mapped in terms of what opportunity he could be he does actually need to help aid his development. A lot of people might look at Jude Bellingham and say, actually, Liverpool should have just gone and, and got him when he was as cheap as possible from, from Birmingham City rather than wait for him to go to Dortmund and develop. But then he wouldn't come the, the finished product that he, he has at Dortmund because he wouldn't have had the same opportunity. Yeah, I think the, the Dortmund thing is actually quite interesting in terms of this, in terms of a comparison, because I think they paid about £25 million, didn't they, for, for Jude Bellingham? It wasn't a small fee, and what we tend to see with Liverpool is that they sort of take the, the gambles on these players, but they do it. For example, Seth Vandenberg was, what, 2 or £3 million, I think. You've got Calvin Ramsey, who's a, a small amount. Fabio Cavallio was around, what, £5 million. It, it doesn't tend to be those bigger numbers. And I think for, for this summer, certainly the indications and the reports seem to, to be suggesting that Villa would want £20 million for him. I can't particularly see Liverpool doing that. But if there was a deal to be had, maybe sort of a, a lower risk sort of number came into the equation, then possibly that could be tempting for them. So, yeah, I mean, Dortmund would seem the obvious one to me, partly because of that and partly because of the pathway. But I suppose Liverpool have a little bit of, of that pathway as well. I think he's clearly a very good player. He's ticking a lot of boxes. He's clearly one of the, the better England talents in that group, scored the winning goal in the, at the Euros, played a, a key part. I think he was you know, the, the second top scorer at the tournament. So he's very much one of, of the players to, to keep an eye on. But I suppose part of it as well will come down, I think, to possibly the reason why he's delaying on a contract. I think it's interesting that Steven Gerrard has not taken him on the tour to kind of sort this out. There has been a couple of suggestions that Aston Villa are not particularly impressed with the amount of money and wages that he is demanding and maybe he values himself a little bit too highly. So 
if that is the case, and it is a big if, that's not me suggesting that, that's come from elsewhere, but if the wages were kind of the thing that was holding Aston Villa back, I suspect Liverpool would steer clear because obviously you don't want players that are, are trying to hold out for the most money. You want them to be sort of arriving at your club because of that pathway and because of, of all the rest of it. But yeah, loads of teams being linked with him. I'm sure Liverpool will be more than aware of him because he's absolutely one of the best talents. But yeah, is it going to happen? Probably not at this stage, but you never know. Things could change. Yeah, for me, I know we were talking about Bellingham before, but the shades of, of, of Paul Pogba first time around at Manchester United uh, play here, a young midfield player who, who feels as though he's ready. Maybe we'll have to wait and see if that is the case. But I'm off to melt in the sunshine. I hope all you guys listening in are enjoying it as well. My tip is get on the uh, the ice pops and cool yourself down as much as possible. But I'll enjoy myself sunbathing. Hope you've enjoyed joining us here on the Blood Red Podcast. Myself, Guy Clark, Paul Gorst, Theo Squires and Matt Addison. Thanks for your time and your company. It's bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.